producergrind.com. We hope the producers get the business. Welcome to the third episode of the Producer Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, CEO Dylan. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram. Today on the show, we got guest speaker DJ Payne One. You might know him from dropping some sound packs on our website. He's got the unfinished Friday sample packs that we dropped. Uh, but anyways, we got him here now. Welcome to the show, Payne One. Appreciate it. Appreciate you having no me. No doubt, no doubt. Now you're over there in Wisconsin, right? Yeah, all the way over here in Wisconsin. Now are you near like Green Bay or a major city or not really? I mean, I'm in the capital city. I'm in Madison, um, which is the second largest city in the state next to Milwaukee. Oh, gotcha. Green Bay is, uh, I don't know, two and a half, three hours north. It's pretty far north. I mean, it's a major city because of um, the sports industry and the nightlife there, but it's it's smaller than Madison. Have you uh, have you thought about you know relocating to a bigger city? You know, like a, like a New York, L.A., or Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, that's always a conversation. I I like Atlanta. I don't necessarily I like New York too. I don't necessarily like LA. <laughs> I don't know. How, just with my budget, I don't know how I would live in LA, but Atlanta seems a little more viable. Um, yeah, I'm, I, you get invested in a, in a in an area, you, you start. Um, growing roots and, and so it becomes a little more complicated definitely definitely you know i come from uh you know a small city uh, rochester new york and i actually just made the move down to atlanta a couple months ago and it's crazy now that i'm here it's like damn it's like what was i doing you know all this time before it's just so so much more going on down here so much more so much faster paced you know what i mean than what i'm used to it's just crazy you know yeah uh and atlanta seems to be pretty I mean, I know there are politics everywhere, but compared to say LA or New York politics in the music industry, Atlanta seems to be a, a exceptionally low on on those kinds of politics. I've never lived there though, but that was just kind of my first impression. Right, right, right. So, you know, for the guys listening, I, uh, you know, I know you've definitely, you know, worked with some big guys like Ross, uh, Jeezy, uh, 2 Chains. Can you uh, just give us a little quick, you know, rundown of your catalog? Uh, the biggest record that probably people would know is um, Young Jeezy, The Recession. I had a track called Don't Do It, and that you know was the number one album. Uh, Ludacris, Ludaversal was the number one album. Royce the 5'9". Uh, Layers was the number one album. Um, trying to think what else I did. I don't know. There's, I have a wiki page that's so got a, a discography <laughs> in it. Hey, you know one of my favorite records, though, of yours is that... Um... That Bibby and Gates record. Yeah, yeah, that, I like that one. That record was crazy. That that record had me had me, you know, like trying to make that style of beat for the longest. I sort of got like, you know, like that trap but with samples. It was crazy. Yeah, I saw some people uh, on YouTube trying to remake it. They you know, people do do remakes mm-hmm. of beats and, and it was funny too because I pretty much I made a video pretty much telling you exactly how to remake it, but it's always cool to see that kind of thing. And they didn't get it quite right, but it, it's it's dope to see people engage with you in, in, in that sort of way. Now, uh, now I know you, you're, I like to ask this to the guys that are, you know, industry and online, and I think you're a great, you know, candidate to ask the question, is now, do you think that having an online presence or an online store ever hinders your growth, like in an industry setting and, you know, getting placements and kind of, you know, the more traditional? Yeah, I mean, I used to think that. I really did. And that's why I held off doing the online and missed out on a lot of money and a lot of branding and a lot of, um, you know, uh, brand building as a result of 
existing being, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to be labeled an internet producer like it was something terrible. But you start realizing a lot of these guys that are quote unquote industry, you know, they're selling beats online. They may not have a beat store, but they're still selling beats online. And, you know, I, I make a ton of beats and I work directly with artists. And if I can make a beat a week, yeah, obviously I'm making more than one beat a week, but if I can make a beat a week just to make available online, you know, as a low cost option for unsigned artists who want to work with me, but, you know, don't have the, the budget to, you know, grab a custom track for me or something, mm -hmm. then I can do that as an additional uh, revenue stream. But I've never, I've never run into anybody who has said that that's hindered them as far as as working in the industry. I've never heard of a story where an A&R says, yeah, you know, we were going to work with you, but <laughs> you're on um, SoundCloud or SoundClick selling beats or you're on BeatStars or my flash store selling beats and that's whack. So we can't mess with you anymore. I've never heard of that happening. And, you know, I think there's a stigma for these, you know, internet producers, but they're making more money than, than a lot of industry producers, number one. And number two, they just have different priorities. You know what I mean? If, if, if you're making six figures a year, just out of your own house, not chasing placements, not dealing with the industry politics, just working for yourself, why would you switch that up and, and, and start chasing these major labels? You know what I mean? So there is kind of a line drawn because people on one side are, have different priorities than the people on the other side. But I don't, I don't think you have to choose one or the other. And I think we're, we're starting to see more producers crossing that boundary. Definitely, definitely. Um, so, I mean, like, what would you recommend? You know, cause I feel like, you know, if you go too cheap on your leases, then it kind of can make you look bad. And then, you know, too expensive will make you not get as much sales. What do you think is like a sweet spot for those, on, for the online lease sales? I don't really have too much insight into that, but what people People are telling me who know what they're doing is the, the least price point, you know, like the floor tends to be around $25, which, you know, it's low. When I started that, I'm thinking, damn, $25, you got to be kidding me. But some of these dudes are selling, you know what I mean, 10 of those a day. That's that's not bad money. Right. Some of them are probably selling 20 to 30 a day. So exactly do the math that's yeah exactly. Yeah, they know how to work that out. And, and you know, someone like me who was getting one or two industry placements a year, you know, people are looking at me like, damn, you got all that, that money, huh? <laughs> Not really. You make more at your job if that's the only income I'm relying on. So I had to diversify. You know, I, I had to create new income streams for myself because you can't live off you know, two ten thousand or two five thousand dollar checks a year. Now, when you when people do get their placements, what's the best way to kind of milk that and kind of have that be use that to your best advantage and kind of make the most opportunity and money out of those situations? Uh, God, I think it just depends on on your individual situation. I mean, if you have an online presence and you get a placement then you have a foundation for you to really promote that. You know, there's this whole psychology of, of uh, I guess it's just perception. You know, if, if people are suddenly catching the word that you produced for say, I don't know, Yogati or somebody, mm -hmm. suddenly they want to work with you because they're fans of Yogati and, and now you're kind of legitimized. You know what I mean? When, when I first worked, um, with Jeezy, suddenly I was elevated to a different level, you know, and then as a result, or maybe just as a coincidence, because I had started really 
um, focusing on my career and, and really becoming a professional producer. So that in conjunction with actually getting a, a number one record, a, you know, and a plaque allowed people to perceive me more as a legitimate producer and therefore someone worthy of, of their resources. You know what I mean? Whereas before I was just a local producer, now I'm not a local producer anymore. So people want to work with me. I'm, I'm still the same person, but um, it just, it helps you push your brand forward because you now have, I guess you could call it co-branding in a way. It's not official co-branding. You know, Def Jam's not sending out a press release saying DJ Payne one is a dope producer, but it's this kind of implicit co-branding, you know. Suddenly my brand is linked to Def Jam and it's linked to CTE and it's linked to Jeezy. So um, what I did was I just let, you know, I had a party locally to celebrate um, the Jeezy placement. It was the first week sales party. It was a big success. So that was solidified as co-branding on a, on a local level. And then on a social media level, you know, I made the videos, you know, breaking the beat down, talking about the situation, um, you know, listed it in my bio, obviously. And, you know, I think that's probably how someone created a wiki page for me because before that I didn't have anything notable enough to, to warrant me having my own Wikipedia page. Mm -hmm. So it, it all just kind of worked together to create this new professional DJ Payne One persona online where um, now people were actually interested. Uh, and, you know, in, in, as far as the industry is concerned too, you, you talk with um, with another artist or, or an A&R manager or something, people want to know that you have a track record. And if they haven't heard of the artist that you've worked with previously, unfortunately, they may, may not even give you a chance. Mm. So the second you have a big name, it, it's kind of a matter of them. Um, it, it's like having a referral almost. You know what I mean? Well, I, I did this record for Cheesy. Okay, yeah, I've heard that definitely. Yeah, come through it, you know. It's, it's like a resume on your job, you know, it's the difference between having a master's degree and a, and a GED, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? You're better if you have the master's and once you start getting these big placements, it's, it's more like a, a higher qualification for you to get your foot in the door. For sure, for sure. And, you know, I feel like it's super important and I probably for all your records, I think you've done it is you've done like a behind the beat video. Yeah, for, for some of the bigger ones, there are some that I didn't, unfortunately, I I was kicking myself for that, but uh, you know, it helps because people want to see that stuff. You know, I want to see how producers create some of my favorite beats that, that they've done. So if I can do that, you know, people are interested in it, I'm going to keep doing it. Definitely, definitely. Now I see you, you, for a person, you, you have a solid fan base in the producer community as well. You know, it, it reaches more than just rappers. Has that brought you any benefit at all? You know, having, you know, producers as fans? I mean, yeah, I, I didn't really know how I, I was going to proceed you know once I I, just, I was just I used to put content out just for free for producers just because I, I wish someone had done that for me mm -hmm. and the brand started building you know and now I'm co-branding and stuff and, and I'm still giving away a lot of free content but you know it's co-branding it, it all comes back to my brand and then every now and then maybe once a year all release a premium drum kit you know one one premium for the four or five free ones and you know, people already know that they like the free ones. They know how much I've given. And so they want to come back and, um, you know, support me by purchasing that kit. So I think that definitely helps as far as my marketing is concerned, because now I have a base of, you know, tens of thousands of people that are engaged in what I'm doing. So if I, if I have a project, you know, if I need some support, I can create a call to action and, and people actually give a damn because 
you know they're invested in the brand now right now i know you collab with you know other musicians and stuff like i was watching that was really dope by the way how you guys made that sample i think a few days i saw it on your channel oh yeah yeah the, the sample free track that we yeah, yeah yeah that was crazy now i know you you know you work with musicians and stuff like that but do you collab with producers online and stuff like that you know maybe you probably do it in your city but do you venture online guys you don't know collab with them yeah i, I think i collaborate more with people online honestly just because i don't ever leave the house <laughs> but yeah i mean i just did uh i did some stuff with the crates i did some stuff with that guy problem i worked with this guy um Darrell Banks a lot. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, I, yeah, I, I definitely collaborate with, with with other producers. Usually, it's just a situation where you know they hear something of mine or I hear something of theirs, and and we know that our styles can complement each other. I used to try to collaborate more with as many producers as possible, just kind of before I really had a um, a strict marketing plan or or just. I guess a protocol for for what I did. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, not everybody is someone you should collaborate with. And you know, I kind of learned that the hard way when, when people started sending me the same, you know, four chord turnaround. I'm like, yeah, that, I can't do anything with this. <laughs> but um, I try to just work with people that, that I regard as, as uh, musical and, and who know something I don't know, who have something I don't know. And, and, and people that I know I can uh, compliment in terms of my musical, Abilities. When you do collaborate with producers, do you bring split sheets into the equation? And if so, like when does it? When do they come into the equation? Uh, some people want them right away, and that's cool. I respect that. Some people just we kind of work on a on a handshake, and when it comes down to you know some money being made or you know a situation where there's a, a major release, then we just have to handle the paperwork from there. But you know, as far as Split sheets go, everything's negotiable. So um, unless somebody's asking for more than 50%, it's all good. Right. Now, well, how much, as, as an independent producer, how much do you typically see off like a, a stream, you know, from a, like with a major placement and stuff like that? How much do you see off a sale and a stream? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. You get that, that advance and that's kind of it. That's kind of it. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends. If it's a if it's a big single, you know what's crazy is I've made more off publishing on the independent side than I have on the major side. Mostly just as a consequence of sampling a lot for some reason. My bigger placements contain samples, whereas mm. my independent stuff doesn't. So I end up, I guess, having more equity in the track on, on the independent side. So yeah. I guess I, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I've never had a sample-free number one record. Now, will, will BMI or ASCAP or whatever? Will they go and get like your your sale money and stuff like that from like say you sell? No, nah, nah, it's just it's just publishing, it's just performance royalties. So if that song is played, performed, broadcast, so forth, that's that's the money that they collect. But it's money that the venues, the radio stations, the TV stations, the um, jukebox owners that that's money that they are paying them. So so the money's already there. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, what about like as far as like iTunes sales and stuff like that? Is that kind of just you have to work that out with each individual person? There's no way to kind of just get it automatically. Oh, I guess that's where accounting comes in. Uh, you know, it's a pain in the ass. The, the major label systems have statements that you can get, um, and they just count those all as sales. I don't think they they necessarily distinguish between. I, you know, I don't know. I was talking more independent though. I'm talking about on the independent. Oh, side. independent. Yeah, I mean that's that's accounting as well. That's why my whole stance on on independent 
um, projects is that I, I just always ask for an advance. It might be a small advance, but I know that there's always the chance that this project isn't going to recoup or if it does, you might break even, you know, but I did the work. So I, I get something up front and whatever you paid me. So you paid me a thousand dollars for a track for your independent release. And that record only generates 2000. And so we would have split that anyway. Well, you don't owe me anything because you already paid me the thousand and we're all good. You know, I'm happy, you're happy. Uh, but a lot of people will say, you know, I'll hit you on the back end. You want the back end. What about the publishing? And for an independent project, you're not getting a bunch of radio play or you're right. not, you know, if you don't have a publishing deal or a situation where you're licensing the song out, that's not going to do anything for me. I might get nothing. I might get $20. I might get $100. But, if you know, for me, that's not worth it. What's like a good marketing strategy, you know, to kind of get the get the online sales, you know, kind of rolling in? I know this. we could talk for hours and days about this, but, you know, I mean, what are just some main bullet points that you would hit? Uh, I'm, I'm really still learning. I'm, I'm still learning. I'm finding that uh, you know, a lot of the producers are sending traffic to their beat stores via other platforms such as um, YouTube and uh, SoundCloud. And, you know, the good thing about YouTube is that if you have a, a track, you know, you can advertise that track. You might be able to invest $100 in that track to advertise that video. And, you know, now thousands of people are seeing it and so now your your potential customer base becomes thousands of people um you know but some of these guys they're just uploading beats all the time and so there's consistency so people start subscribing because they want beats you know some of the producers will give out a free beat in exchange for a you know an email address so every time you get an email address a confirmed email address that's way better than any other kind of customer database you can build because that person they're opting in they're, they're interested in your product um and, and you know w once you send them your monthly mailing list saying look here there are five new beats here that you can check out you know they're actually going to engage with that content. They're not just going to delete the email because they had no idea why they signed up for it. Mm -hmm. So it's it's targeted direct marketing, and um, that's working for a lot of people. Not just people who sell beats. You know, it's working for artists. It's it's always worked for artists. It's worked for companies who sell products. You know what I mean? eBay does it. You know, Amazon does it. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're doing that for a reason. It's because it works. And I, and I I like how you know I've been I've been getting into the the email marketing. You know, with last year I got into it. And, you know, I actually read some books on it and stuff and, you know, it's content marketing is like a thing now, you know what I mean? And it's like putting out content, like putting out cook up videos and, you know, yep. even just if like a daily vlog, whatever, anything that, you know, to, to engage with the people, it's really about doing things other than emailing someone, hey, these are five new beats buy them or here's a 25 percent off or I'm running a sale. And that, instead of keeping it all straight, like hard, uh, you know, right hooks. As you know, uh, Gary Vee will call it. I'm a big fan of Gary Vee listening to his podcast and stuff. Instead of hitting him with that right hook every time, you know, throw some jabs, just throw him like, you know, hey, I was just in the studio uh, this weekend. Here's some, some footage of me flipping the sample and, you know, just all kinds of stuff like that. And I know you're into that kind of stuff, too. Yeah, you definitely want to diversify. I mean, let me ask you. I know you're interviewing me, but let me ask you a question. So this whole beat cook up thing, that's bringing a lot of traffic and attention over we we've been getting a, a good amount of views i thought it would actually get more views i thought you know kind of the community would that was something that they would kind of would engage with more maybe we just you know haven't had the exposure we need but 
Um, you know, I definitely love, you know, doing those. And I think that, you know, it's definitely something that I had thought of for a while. Like, oh, I wish they did that. You know what I mean? Like seeing the World Star Vine uh, compilations, you know? Yeah, I was wondering if that's kind of what you modeled it after. 100%, yeah. No, I think it's a dope model. I mean, you've only been at it for, for what? This, uh, 2016, right? Yeah, I think we, we, we did five in 2016. And uh, I was contemplating, you know, uh, when I was going to, you know, start. I, we, I haven't done it in about two months and I was... Kind of exactly. Yeah, we bring it back. I want to send you more uh, more peep videos. I got a nicer camera now. Definitely, it's kind of harder now though because everyone's putting their cook up videos in their Insta Snap and their Snapchats. Not so many I, people are you know putting them on their actual timeline, so they're like much harder to come by, especially with you know the bigger guys and guys like you and stuff like that. It's I don't know. It just seems harder. Uh, I mean, yeah. Have you tried uh, using those same platforms? I mean, for, you can make the shorter one. I, I know what you're saying. It's harder to get the content, but you know, you can ask people directly too. They might, they might send it in. Um, Definitely. But yeah. Facebook direct to Facebook video uploads. Have you done that? Say what's that now? Have you uploaded the cook up videos directly to Facebook instead of just going through YouTube and sharing the YouTube link? No, but I know that that's definitely what i should be doing right yeah it were i i get honestly i get more video engagement on facebook than i do on youtube you know and i have i don't know how many subscribers on youtube thirty thousand or something and on facebook because of the sharing system you know every mm -hmm. person who shares it increases the, the reach exponentially you know what i mean so YouTube doesn't have that sharing system. And because Facebook's trying to compete with YouTube as a video platform, they're going to prioritize your videos and, and, you know, hit more people with them. So exactly. that's, that's something. And then, you know, you got your cumulative numbers up. You might only hit 20,000 on YouTube, but you hit 30 on, on um, Facebook. So now that's a 50,000, uh, you know, 50,000 total views on, on that one video. Plus, you know, Facebook, I like their ad system a lot, and it's much more affordable. It's cheaper than, than YouTube. It's way cheaper than yes, YouTube. So you yes. might only have to invest $5 on each of those videos, 5 to 10, and that's that's a real low budget, you know, to reach thousands of people. And, and the second they start sharing it, you know, you got content that'll last you the whole year because people won't stop sharing that video. Yeah. Facebook is, is definitely when you know how to use it. You, it's it's a lot of people think it's like kind of dying but it's definitely not you know in that sense nah no way no way is facebook dying. you know people people are like facebook is dying but instagram you know they got this instagram live you know instagram live is the biggest thing right now and facebook owns instagram so if, if you think facebook is dying and they're not somehow theming in the background as they create the newest most relevant social media streaming platform you're out of your mind it's all about using all platforms you know what i mean yeah exactly i think people's biggest issue with getting to that point in their social media branding efforts is number one starting and number two staying at it a lot of people you know i'll have this this conversation with people telling them they need to use facebook and twitter and instagram and, and whatever out youtube way more so they do it for maybe three weeks and then they just give up because right. you know it's like three weeks went by and i don't have a million views and i don't have 12,000 likes and it's like come on man this, this stuff takes years 100 so it's just it's a matter of of priorities and habits and, and you know if you really want this you'll do all the grunt work you know i mean people go to college for eight years to become professional you know you, 
use social media for at least two and see what happens. Right. It definitely you can definitely do it quicker than, than a college degree. It does. And that's what's crazy to me about, you know, artists. This is the greatest job in the world, creating art to support yourself. That's awesome. Why, why would you ever pick something else over that? So, you know, when it comes to, when it comes down to the workload, it's like, man, I got to do social media for an hour a day. Yeah, you either do social media for an hour or a day or you work at a job for somebody else doing something that you hate for eight hours a day. You know, you pick one. Right. But, I mean, you know, shit, if you're doing it for your passion, you know, I mean, most of the time it's, you know, the opposite. It's I'm trying to be like, damn, I need to stop. I need to get off social media. I'm spending too much time on, you know what I mean? It's, it's all how serious you take. It. Yeah, it's just everything is habits. It just comes down to habits. So, uh, you know, what what uh, what would you say is your two main goals this year and where you're trying to see yourself exactly this point in 2018? Oh, man. My one main goal is uh, promoting, or I guess just building my brand as a solo artist not just the producer who makes beats for other people mm-hmm. my other and you know not people think that i'm rapping or singing or something but no just just producing full records that that i am the producer of and you know performing them as a dj and uh i guess publishing publishing is, is my goal for um for this year so getting records that uh, I, I have equity in and that I can, uh, you know, monetize in, in different ways that, that relate to publishing, you know, because as I said, <clears throat> the, you know, the GZ record, the number one record, RIAA certification, but sampled. So that publishing situation is hairy. You get the advance and, and you hope the sales recoup, but you're not going to get a publishing deal off of it. And I did. Hmm. Uh, so right now I'm self-published and so I'm working on ways of increasing revenue by being self-published and kind of crossing my fingers that something else happens where I'm offered a, a, a much better situation. Um, you know, and I'm, I don't want to talk too much about it, but yeah, there are a couple of things in the works. I'm, I'm just, I don't get excited until the, the check is cleared. <laughs> right. I would definitely, I, I definitely would, would love to see a DJ Payne one album or mixtape. I think that'd be dope. Oh uh, yeah, well, yeah, the um, the Painkillers, I think it's the fourth one that's been in the works for I don't know how many years. So that that'll come this year. Another um, instrumental project will come this year as well, and then hopefully my my solo stuff. And it won't just be a DJ Payne one mixtape. It'll be a, a little more um, formal than that to be coming this year as well mm. and a whole bunch more you know i'm working way more on, on full projects with artists because i like making beats but i'm a producer you know what i mean i want to make songs i want to make full records and you can produce a song here and there and it's easy for them to forget you but you do the whole project and now you're locked in 50 50 and you share the responsibility you share the, the risk but you also share the reward and you know that's that's a fair situation for somebody who who works that hard and dedicates that much of themselves to a project definitely definitely all right my dude that just about wraps up the show i appreciate you stopping by and dropping some knowledge on us uh always good talking with you bro and uh look forward to keeping up with you in the future cool man sounds good appreciate you all right my dude signing out Thank you guys for tuning in to the third episode of the Producer Lifestyle Podcast. You already know we got more on the way. Catch us next week.
Go sit right there.